it must be true that God is love because he keeps creating beings that have the possibility of a relationship with him. I mean, he made the angels, and then he made humans, and then he gave humans the ability to make more humans. He designed us for the purpose of love. He made us in pairs, first of all, but then he made us with the ability and then gave us the responsibility of creating loving families. God designed us for face-to-face deep intimacy with him. Adam and Eve are said in the garden to have walked with God. God designed us for this special trusting relationship. But instead of trusting God, Adam and Eve believed uh, some, some lie that, that somebody influenced them to, to believe. And they, they thought that God must not actually love them. Instead, God was keeping something from them that if, if they knew about it, it would hurt God. And so really, God was just doing things in his own self-interest. Sin separates us from God. At its root, sin is abandoning love and embracing self-existence, as though we could exist without our creator. Isn't that what Adam and Eve were doing when they took the fruit? They were like, no, I got this. I, I, I can do this on my own. But can we live on our own without the creator's power? We search for self-actualization and self-realization and self-fulfillment. We, we find things that please us, even if they harm other people. In the beginning, Adam and Eve lived in this beautiful, open-air home of a garden that God had designed for them, a place where he met with them face-to-face. In the end, the promise is that God will create a, a special place, rooms in his house, so that we can live with him and meet with him again face-to-face. But we're in the in-between world because Adam and Eve sinned. We're no longer in God's presence. We can't feel him. We can't see him. We can't, we can't uh, hear him. And, and so how do we have that walking with God experience that Adam and Eve had? How do we have the walking with God experience that God one day wants us to have in heaven? How do we, how do we relate to that in the in-between world? We might not see God face to face, but I believe God has designed us with the ability and the relationship he has with us with the, the, the features of a close communion one where God actually leads us day by day and is involved with our everyday experience. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring uh, a series of character studies that I'm calling Walking with God, Experiencing Authentic Faith. And we're going to be answering questions like, how does God speak to us? How can we know what God's plan is for our life? How can we align our lives and follow God's leading? Today, we're going to begin with a story from Abraham's life. It's just going to be a short glimpse. Abraham had a long life, but we're just going to look at at just a, honestly, just a few months, maybe a year or two of his life. And it's found in Genesis chapter 11 and, and, and 12. Abraham's story, the way we find it in Genesis, begins in the middle of his life. He's already lived something close to 75 years by the time we get to know him. He's known as Abram at this point. And he's married to his half-sister, Sarai, who happens to not be able to have children. And then we also know that he, he's one of three sons of Terah. We're not quite sure if he's the oldest, but he's mentioned first, so maybe he's the oldest. And, and then uh, Haran and, uh, and I just forgot the third one. Anyway, but it's Abraham 
Heron and uh, Nahor. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so the, the, the one dies, Haran dies while they're living in Ur, and Terah decides that he's going to take his whole family and move them. And the Bible says in the end of chapter 11 that he's going to move them to the land of Canaan, but he stops for a while in Haran, and that's where Terah dies. Nahor decides to stay in Haran, but then Abraham, he gets a message from God. It's interesting, before we get to the message, there's one other thing we know about Abram that's implied in the Bible, and that's that he actually knows something about the promise of the Messiah. Because when God comes to the point of saying, hey, I want you to go somewhere, and I'm going to make your family a blessing to all the families in the world, Abram's not surprised. He knows something, and we're not sure how the message got from Adam to Seth to Enoch to Methuselah to Noah and then to Shem and all the way down to Abram. But somehow, the story of God's promises and God's truth and God's goodness ends up in Abraham's charge, and he believes it. Unlike all the people around him who are following idols, Abraham believes God. And in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Do you remember the last time you asked the question, what is God's will for my life? Was it this morning or this week or this year, maybe last year? When did you ask the question, what's God's will for my life? It sounds like a good question, and it's definitely a lot better than what's my plan and my will for my life, right? But it's still inherently a little bit selfish. When you think about life, we don't start with us and then move to God, we begin, everything about life begins with God. And so wouldn't it be better to simply ask, what is God's plan? Instead of focusing on me and making it about my, um, my life, what's God's plan? The big picture, what is God doing in the world that I live in, the time that I'm living in, the, the, the people that I'm associating with? What's God's plan, the bigger picture? And, and I'm sure that as we understand God's plan, we would get to know a little bit more about God's plan for our specific lives, right? But the bigger plan is important. Now, that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan specifically for your life. He does. The Bible says that he has good plans for your life and that he has, he has plans for joy. Um, but because he has a bigger purpose in humanity, uh, we need to be seeing a bigger picture than just our lives, when God asked Abraham to start walking to a place that he would show him, Abraham exercised a great deal of faith. He couldn't have children for God to turn into a great nation, and yet he believed God's promise that God would make him the father of many nations. He gets to a country that's occupied by, um, by heathens and, and idol worshipers, Canaanites, and yet he doesn't immediately set out to conquer the land or set up a city-state or something like this. He, he simply rests in God's promise that God would give him the land. God didn't say, you will take the land. He said, I will give you the land. And so Abraham waited there at the borders of Canaan. 
He lived in tents, a permanent refugee, like a foreigner in the promised land. And his son would live the same way, and his grandson would live the same way. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham realized that God's plan was bigger than his life. And as a result, he was willing to recognize a promise that was not going to be fulfilled in his lifetime. That promise was for his great, 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 great grandchildren. And yet he was willing to say, okay, God, I'll go. Abraham realigned his life to, God, to follow God's bigger plan. And as a result, he got to play a, a small part in the plan of salvation that God was designing. We need to understand that God is pursuing us with love, just like he pursued Abraham and loved Abraham individually, personally, involved in his life. And, and that wherever God may choose to put us, that it's, it's perfect for his bigger plan. God's design may seem small for you, but it could have a huge impact. He might call you to a mundane task like Abraham's 569-mile walk from Haran to Shechem, the beginning of his, of his introduction to, to Canaan, where God said, this is the land that I'm going to show you. 569 miles. Can you imagine walking that long? That's a long way to walk. Sometimes our tasks seem mundane, like how could this be accomplishing God's will? Come on, God. I mean, how many people were complaining about, to Abraham about that walk? And then how many people were saying, why can't we go back to civilization? Why do we have to live in these tents? I, I don't know what was going on in Abraham's mind during that 569-mile walk, but sometimes you and I face mundane tasks, and, and God invites us to do them with all our might. If God puts something in front of us, he asks us to realign our lives and to walk in his plan, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And sometimes God might ask us to do something that's completely beyond our imagination or what we think is possible with our lives. For instance, he asked Abraham, a man married to a woman who couldn't have kids, he said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Uh, maybe God's plan for your life is bigger than you can imagine, it might take resources that you don't have. It might, take, um, it, it might take effort that you don't think that you have available to you. But God's plans are good for us, and they're good for his bigger picture of salvation in this world. Do you know what God's plan is? Mundane or extravagant, do you know what his plan for your life is? Maybe if you don't quite know yet, you should do what Abraham did. You see, he was under his father's responsibility, and when his father left Ur, Abraham left with him. And they got to Haran, and in, in Haran, Terah died, and Abraham sat there. He didn't jump up and run to pursue his own ideas of what, what he should be doing in life. He didn't say, all right, um, my dad was going to Canaan. I'm going to head out to Canaan now. He, he didn't do any of that. He just waited. The next thing we find is that God comes to Abraham, and he says, go. And it's only when God says go that, that Abraham picks up his whole family, all of their livestock, all of their, their laborers, and he, he heads to Canaan where God was leading him. 
we can do stuff, just do and do and do and do, and, and we can get worn out doing things for God. But I think sometimes we should stop and stand still and say, okay, God, who are you? And then as we get to know God and as he reveals his love to us, he reveals his plan to us and we can, we can join him in his invitation to work alongside him. But if we're just doing, 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 trying to get stuff done for God, we can get worn out carrying the burden that God didn't necessarily intend us to carry. Jesus says to join him in his work. He says that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why? Because when you're yoked up with Jesus, he's the strong one carrying the load. And, and being yoked up with Jesus, doing what God has asked us to do, following God's plan, means that we actually have joy in our service rather than difficulty and burnout. You know, burnout is really high in pastors and ministry leaders. We sometimes talk about those people in our church that do the most um, and, and we worry about them being burned out because they seem to just be overwhelmed in some ways with ministry. You know, I think it'd be better if all the ministry ideas in our church simply stopped than for us to be acting outside of God's plan. Do you understand that? If we're going to pursue our own initiatives, our own agendas, our own ideas of what God needs, we're going to burn ourselves out, and our ministry is going to be, at best, less effective than we would like. But if we join Christ in His work, in His plan, in His design, then the things that we do will be empowered by His Holy Spirit, and our efforts will lead us to joy and satisfaction. I didn't say that they would lead us to pleasure necessarily because there have been many people who have given their lives, many men who have walked 569 or more miles, many women who have sacrificed dearly for the cause of God. But the result in their life is joy. Singing praise while they burn at the stake doesn't seem like joy to me, but, but somehow God designs the labor that he, that he plans for us to be a beautiful thing for us. Walking 569 miles sounds like a lot of blisters to me, but somehow it led to the joy and, and the creation of this whole family. When God said go to Abraham, the Bible says Abraham went. And, and while Abraham probably knew more about his life plan than most of us do, God didn't tell him all the details. He simply had to start walking. And I think the same is true for you and me as we experience God leading in our life, our, his leading is more like um, Psalm 119, 105, where it says God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's not like God lays out a map in front of us and, and then the noonday sun shines on the path we're going to take. No, he says, follow me, and then he shines a light on the next place our foot should land. It's like a flashlight in front of us. And the question isn't, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? This is kind of uncomfortable for me right now. No, the question is, do I trust the guy shining the light? Do I trust God? As Abraham arrived in Shechem, we read about God talking to him again and confirming, this is the land that I've promised you. And he described more details about what uh, he had planned for Abraham's family. And, and most of us, we don't get even that. We just get the light at our feet. 
And that's okay. He's going to reveal the next step as we take the the one in front of us. The question is just, am I willing to trust him and take the step I see? A few weeks before Jesus' death, he and his disciples had an issue with this this trust because Jesus started telling them that he was going to die and that the Messiah was destined for suffering. And over and over again, he explained this to to the disciples and the disciples were like, wait, 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 we have an idea of what this plan is like. We, we can see the path in front of us and what you're saying is not right. And they shut him down and they tuned him out and they even rebuked him to his face. But the way the truth and the life was telling them what the next step was, shouldn't they have trusted Jesus? When the way, the truth, and the life is in our lives and showing us the path that we should take, that's the time to say, Okay, Lord, I'll take this step. What next? Jesus is asking you and me, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your present and your future plans? Do you trust me with your money, your home, your transportation, your reputation? God wants us to trust him enough that when we're following the best plan we know of and God interjects something else, we'll completely change our lives in order to follow him. Rearranging everything around God's plan rather than our own. Today we're going to have communion service, which starts with the foot washing ceremony. Before we do, we're going to watch a video from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And while you watch it, I want you to ask yourself, what misconceptions, what plans that I've laid are in the way of me following God, in the way of me trusting God to lead in the next step? And then as we separate afterwards and we go to the, to the different places where we'll wash each other's feet, let's pray with each other and pray that God washes away those barriers to trusting him. These disciples, as they saw Jesus take off his outer robe, put on a, a garment, I mean, a, a towel like a, a slave would, they were wondering, could this be the king, the Messiah? How could the Messiah stoop so low? You know, when, when we're following God's plan, it doesn't always make sense, but it does come from our relationship with him. And when the disciples finally understood, they had a deeper understanding, deeper knowledge, deeper intimacy with Jesus than they ever had before. And I think God's plan is the same. He wants to reveal himself to to each of us and his love for each of us in a deeper and deeper ways. And as we see him and his plan, as we follow him, the next step that he's leading us, we'll get to know more about him than we've ever known before.